defined as the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. However, being charged and convicted of murder isn't always as simple as the definition. With that said, let's talk murder. What's going on? We're back at it for another episode. Thank you for joining me and welcome to Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan. I am your host, Diamond Kisan. Hey, y'all. Now, for those who may be new to the podcast, let me give you the rundown. Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan is a crime-based podcast that takes an inside look at the crime from the side of the accused. In each episode, we go beyond the headlines and get up close and personal to the story via the words of the individual charged with the crime. On this episode of Let's Talk Murder, we have the opportunity to talk with Kirk Horshaw. Baby, y'all know, y'all know what's up? I need to, <laughs> let me tell you all this. So in this particular case, I couldn't find a particular headline that would paint the picture that this story needed to go along with it. So what I did was, I pulled up the um, People v. Horshaw um, up here. And this is from August of 2016. So this isn't the actual case. This is the appeal to the case. However, the way this appeal is broken down, um, the appeal from the Circuit Court of Cook County, um, Honorable Mary Margaret Brosahan judge presiding. The way it's broken down, you're going to get a feel for the story, the incident, the crime as a whole. Now, let me tell you all right now, it's long. Be with me, baby. It's long, baby. But there was no way to shorten it and allow you to really grasp or gain the insight. So, and I, I didn't want to do an injustice to this. So, let's get into the headline. Now, keep in mind, like I said, it's coming from the appeal for Kirk Horshaw. So, this is after him being convicted of the crime. As relevant to this appeal, the evidence at defendant's trial showed that Jasmine Williams testified that he, Crawford, and Wesley were members of the Black Disciples Street Gang. And defendant and co-defendant were members of a rival gang, the Gangster Disciples. The two gangs were involved in a war and would shoot each other on sight. On May 7, 2002, Williams was walking along 71st Street in Chicago when he saw Crawford and Wesley on one side of the street. While defendant, co-defendant, and the third man were standing in a vacant lot across the street. An argument ensued between the two groups, and Williams heard Crawford say, You all gonna shoot? Shoot. Williams jogged toward Crawford, and when he was near Crawford and Wesley, defendant and co-defendant pulled out their guns and fired multiple shots. Crawford ran in one direction, and Williams and Wesley ran in another, taking shelter in a building. Defendant and co-defendant then fled the area. When Williams looked out, he saw Crawford lying on the ground. Williams and Wesley took Crawford to the hospital, but he died of a gunshot wound. Williams spoke to the police shortly after the incident and told them defendant and co-defendant shot Crawford. He identified both men in a photo array. Williams did not see Crawford or Wesley with a gun during the shooting. Now again, 
I need you all to remember that this is from the appeal. So the defendant is Kirk Horshaw himself, and the co-defendant is his co-defendant Chancellor Aaron. Um, now keep in mind he's not a party to this appeal, but you you you, you keep hearing defendant and co-defendant a lot. So defendant is Kirk Horshaw himself, and his co-defendant is Chancellor Aaron. And just to catch you up, um. This appeal stems from the trial for the the shooting death of Aaron Crawford and the shooting of Daniel Wesley. So, defendant Kirk Harshaw and co-defendant Chancellor Aaron and the shooting death of Aaron Crawford and the shooting death of Daniel Wesley. Alright, I'll continue with the appeal. Daniel Wesley, who was incarcerated in Minnesota for aggravated robbery and had two prior convictions in Illinois for unlawful use of a weapon, testified that on the day of the shooting, he had been smoking marijuana and drinking. At about 9 p.m. on the night in question, he was outside on 71st Street when he heard shots and saw Crawford on the ground. Wesley ran and took shelter. When the shooting stopped, Wesley and Williams lifted Crawford into a car and accompanied him to the hospital. Wesley and Williams returned to a restaurant near the scene of the shooting where police saw them. Wesley told the police he did not know anything, but the police took them to the police station. The detectives separated Wesley and Williams, and Wesley testified the police forced Wesley to identify the shooters from a photo array. Wesley acknowledged that he identified defendant and co-defendant, but explained it was a script and he was drunk high and did not know what he was saying and, and was just trying to leave the station. Wesley had previously given a written statement, grand jury testimony, and testimony at co-defendant's trial in which he identified defendant and co-defendant as the shooters. His prior statement and testimony were consistent with each other and similar to Williams' account of the shooting. During co-defendant's trial, Wesley testified that Crawford did not have a gun during the shooting. The written statement, grand jury testimony, and testimony at co-defendant's trial were admitted as subs substantive evidence at trial. Substantive evidence at trial. Forgive me, y'all. Karen Luckett testified that she lived next to the site of the shooting. She saw two men get out of a car and identified the defendant as one of them. Again, that's Kirk Harshaw. Although she did not see the shooting, she heard the gunshots. Tiffany Vining, a.k.a. Tiffany Morgan, testified that at the time of the shooting, she was on drugs and she did not remember the incident. However, Vining's July 2002 written statement to an assistant state's attorney and a police detective, which was ad admitted as substantive evidence, indicated that at 9 p.m. on the night in question, she saw Crawford arguing with a defendant, co-defendant, and a third man she did not know. Co-defendant pulled out a gun and acted like he was going to shoot Crawford. After Defendant, co-defendant, and the third man crossed the street toward a vacant lot. Defendant also pulled out a gun, and he and co-defendant started shooting at Crawford. Crawford never had a gun in his hands. Donnell Russell testified that he was arrested for possession of cannabis in 2004. 
And while at the police station, he told officers he had information about the May 7, 2002 shooting. In particular, he told detectives that on September 6, 2002, he and defendant were driving around searching for marijuana to buy. Russell had not seen defendant for a while and asked where he had been. Defendant responded that he had been laying low because he and co-defendant were involved in a shooting near 71st Street and Paxton Avenue. Defendant told him that he caught somebody who shot at him earlier. Detective John Fassel testified that he and his partner interviewed Wesley and Williams at the police station on the night of the shooting. Both men identified defendant and co-defendant as the shooters from a photo array. Fassel denied that Wesley was giving any kind of script or that he was told who to identify. Officer Ware testified that on the day of the on that the day after the shooting, he and his partner saw a car that was reported to have been involved in the shooting and attempted to pull it over. A chase followed, during which defendant and co-defendant jumped out of the car. The car crashed and the driver, Ricardo Martin, jumped out, wherein his partner pursued and arrested Martin because he was seen discarding a gun. Defendant and co-defendant were subsequently arrested. Defendant presented four alibi witnesses. Now, here we go, y'all. Listen at this. Defendant, Kirk Kershaw, presented four alibi witnesses in this case at trial. Defendant's stepdaughter, Jasmine Brooks. Family friend, Charles Parks. Defendant's sister-in-law, Clarissa Greer. And defendant's wife, Erica Horshaw. All four witnesses testified that the defendant was in Georgia on the date of the shooting, and served as a pallbearer for a funeral that took place the following day. Allow me to read that again. All four witnesses testified that defendant was in Georgia on the date of the shooting and served as a pallbearer for a funeral that took place the following day. The defense introduced into evidence a program from the funeral which listed the date and named defendant as a pallbearer. The trial court convicted defendant of first-degree murder of Crawford and the attempted first-degree murder of Wesley and sentenced him to an aggregate term of 66 years imprisonment. We affirmed the judgment on direct appeal. Again, this is from People v. Hershaw, 2013, Illinois Appeal. The trial court convicted the defendant of first-degree murder of Crawford and the attempted first-degree murder of Wesley and sentenced him to an aggregate term of 66 years. And with that, let's talk murder. Now, normally, you know, I ask the accused questions. They give me the answers from their perspective and in reference to what they advise happened. This particular episode, Mr. Horshaw has written us out a full story. And he titled it, this is how it came, Kirk Horshaw's True Side of the Story to the World. Let's get into it. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Southside to be exact. 71st Paxton, where my neighborhood is controlled by gang members of three different gangs. GDs, Gangster Disciples, BDs, Black Disciples, and 4CH, Four Corner Hustlers. I was a member of the GDs. We was directly across the street from the BDs and also shared a couple of blocks with them. 
We always will bump heads with this game. Somehow, maybe we was too close to one another, but we would also bump heads with the Four Corner Hustlers as well. We all was too close to one another. Years back, in 1999, I was shot by both gangs. Regular everyday shootouts, that's what I mean by bumping heads. Wartime. But since 1996, I was always a hustler. I love money and like to dress. Never was into the nonsense, but when it comes to gang activity, it's about eye for an eye and which side you're on. Meaning that it doesn't matter who person got into it, because if that person is in your gang and got into it, then you're into it as well. Period. But let's keep in mind, as well, you have all different types of personnel. Some could fight, and some will shoot you but not kill you. Some would just kill you. Me? I was a fighter. Only with some of the homies, though, when we was drunk or something. And by me not really being a drinker or a smoker, it didn't take much. Unless we had gang fights coming up back in the 90s. And that depends on what high school you went to as well. You just couldn't go to any school. Because that gang that was around that school is who ran that school. Couldn't wear certain colors or have your hat turned to a certain side, left or right. The Chicago Lifestyle. Now, about my case. The night before the morning of my case, the BDs was real deep and came on outside of the street to shoot dice. So it was a dice game going on for a very long time. But one of the BDs got into it with one of the GDs about exactly what? I don't know. So the GD guy called the BD out on a fight one-on-one -on -one in the alley. So they took their shirts off and they went to the alley. But the whole time, the BD dude wasn't really trying to fight. As soon as they got into the alley, he pulled out a 38 revolver from his back pocket and shot the GD in the stomach. So later that night, I'm riding around with a friend, and we happened to ride past the BDs. They shot at the car and Swiss cheesed it. But we were safe. No one was hit. So I asked my friend to drop me off at home. Keep in mind, where I lived at is by... The BDs and four corner, four corner Hustler gang members. Coming and going home, I will or we will see each other. So that morning, before my crime happened, I was up and out early on the block. In the hustler's eyes, the early bird gets the worm. So me and a couple of guys out early hustling, smoked a little weed and went and got some breakfast. Come back to the block and finish hustling. But as the evening came, that meant the shift with the police was about to change. Now, I lived in the 3rd District, 71st Cottage Grove. That's the police station. Now, it's a cop car, 331, that knew any and everybody. They always used to jump out on us if they felt something was up. So, let's keep in mind what happened the night before and where I lived. So, that day, the cop car, 331, was coming up the block, and I was like, damn. But at the same time, I'm like, if they don't stop me, I'm going to have my gun on me all day. So they didn't stop me, and I had my gun on me all day. So I'm doing what I do usually, hustling. Didn't have nothing planned for that day at all, but to get money. Wasn't nothing going through my mind, but to get money. But also, stay safe and point to not let anyone shoot me. Stay safe and on point to not let anyone shoot me. Because it's hard to get money in war at the same time. So I had ran out of drugs and had to go home to get some more. So when I went home and got some more, 
Coming out of the house, heading back to the block, that's when I ran into my co-defendant. He was headed to the house. Now, we stayed in the same building. When we bumped, he was like, it's straight out here. It's not hot at all. I'm like, cool. But as soon as we stopped talking, that's when we bumped heads with the BDs. They tried to shoot us or at us, but we had the ups. So we defended ourselves. But we didn't know anybody got shot. We don't do this. We not shooters. We had guns to protect ourselves, to keep the other gangs off of us, and also because of where we lived at. We we can get killed coming or going home. Wasn't nothing really going through my mind after the incident, but that I protected myself, and if anything did happen, I'd rather it be him than me. I think the evidence was bullshit, because really, they didn't have any. These so-called gang members got caught up on their crimes that they had committed that happened to be at the scene of the crime that was involved with trying to shoot me and my co-defendant. They worked out with the state's attorney deals on their cases to make statements on me and come get on the stand against me. Let's keep in mind, I'm not a criminal. Don't have a background like that at all besides a trafficking cocaine charge in Atlanta, Georgia, which I was sentenced to seven years in the Georgia Department of Corrections. Now, I'm not saying I'm right. It comes with the game. You can never think you're going to sell drugs and nothing going to come with it, especially when you got gangs and territory. But that's what started changing in the new era. Guys will shoot at you or shoot you, but when you catch them or are about to catch them, they call the police or get on the stand against you. All just to get, all just to get you out the way. The gang members got on the stand and made statements that was all made up. That's how I knew the state's attorney and homicide detectives worked with them to say what they said. They also brought guns to the trial, trying to put them in my case, trying to say those were the guns I had. But the guy that runs the test on the guns said those were not the guns. Plus, they were saying I was in a certain car that I left at the scene. What happened to the car then? I really don't blame my attorney. It's just this case was out of his league. He's more of a drug attorney. That's his strong suit. But murder? He didn't know or attack certain things I wanted him to. Like prove they made a deal to testify to get lesser time on the cases that they had because the cases they had carried way more time and there's no way in hell let's talk about it that they could have received that much time but what I will say to the general public is the streets are cold but fair my family also lost a loved one to the system all I was doing was protecting myself from being harmed and something bad just happened to happen someone that tried to hurt somebody as far as life in prison, it's rough, but it's a mental thing. But it's most important about who you live with in your cell, because everyone's bed is different. I've been in a couple of fights with my cellies over the years, because I like to stay clean and keep the cell clean. But some guys just are used to their mothers cleaning up for them, or someone else cleaning up for them. But over the years, I've learned to just keep my stuff clean and in order and not let other people or their habits bother me. But being incarcerated does get lonely at times when you have people leave your life. It's like the longer 
your bid is, the more people you lose. So-called friends, some family, I lost my wife, and some new people who you meet. That's all. That all has pushed me to focus on my criminal case, to give this time back and be with my son. I've been going 15 years, and my son is 15 years old. I never had the chance to be in his life, but we do talk when we can, and it's this new law out about young adults, 18 to 25 years old. Now listen, you all, you all know how I feel about certain people getting life when you're under a certain age and I feel it's unfair. So, 18 to 25 years old, that we was given too much time for the crime we committed at the age we were when the crime happened. Let me say it again. We were given too much time for the crime committed at the age we were when the crime happened. That's deep. So I have that in court now and waiting to see how that plays out. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get my GED, but that's all at a standstill right now as far as going to school because of the COVID-19 situation. I'm doing my work through the mail, and I can't start testing until they start back running school. When that's going to be... I don't know. Until then, I'm staying focused, doing my best to stay positive, and do what I can, and let God do the rest. That's my story. Sincerely, Kirk Horshaw. So let's talk about it. This one. Ooh, this one. So, you know, again, live by the gun, you die by the gun. There's a code of the streets that if you're in the streets, you know the code, you know what comes with it. This case has a lot. You have people who were there, people who were supposedly there, people who weren't there. Somebody seen something and they wrote it in a statement in 02, but by the time we got a couple years later, they admitted that they didn't see it. It's so much. And you heard what Mr. Horshaw said when he said, you know, I'm not that person to do this, but you have to survive. When you live in an area like that, you have to survive. I go out my door, and it's possible I can get shot at. That's heavy. That is super heavy for me. Like, just imagine, literally, because of where I live, because of the address I reside at, I am put into the middle of potential crossfire every single day when I walk out my door. Then let's add into the fact that I hustle. So, because I hustle, there's, you know, competition, jealousy, XYZ, people want me out the way, all that kind of stuff. So, all this comes into play. So, what? You carry a gun for protection. You may not use it, but you carry it just in case. Then, what happens when that just in case happens? And it happens. And look at this. So, Mr. Horshaw advised... When the incident took place, they didn't even know someone had got hit. So you find out at a later time that someone gets hit and someone is deceased. So you get charged with murder, an attempted murder, because someone else got hit, but they did not. They did not perish. How do you cope with that? You know, do you charge it to the game? Do you say, hey, you know, I was out there. I knew what I was getting myself into by being out there. And it's funny, you know. Some people might say, well, just move. It's not that easy. When you come from somewhere, getting out is harder than staying in. And for some places, the only way out is death. 
huh? Like, you ain't leaving, shorty. You know what it is. You know what we were born into. You know what we were raised into. For some people, it's handed down. I don't, I don't know. This is, this is deep. Mr. Horshaw, thank you for sharing your story, how you shared it. We get to see it from your perspective. So, 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 let's do it like this. My question to you all as you listen to this episode, what's your view on it? You've heard what came out from the appeal record. You heard what Mr. Horshaw had to say. So I ain't going to ask you a specific question. I'm just asking you to tell me what's your opinion. We know you live by the gun, you die by the gun. We know that there are rules to the streets. There's rules to the game. There's a code to the game. But based on the address in which Mr. Horshaw resided, determined what life was like for him on an everyday basis. What's your take? Let's talk about it. Hit me on Twitter at Let's Talk Murder. Or Instagram and Facebook at LTMWDK. Again, that's Twitter at Let's Talk Murder. Or Instagram and Facebook at LTMWDK. I'm Diamond Kisan, and we've just talked murder. Until next time, stay safe. And never be afraid to talk murder.